You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. Let's start with God's Word. If you have your Bible, please make your way to Romans chapter 15, verses 22 through 33. You might be going, why are we not just ripping through the rest of this? I think we'll see in a minute. Romans chapter 15, verses 22 through 33. If you're using the YouVersion Bible app, tons and tons and tons and tons of extra scripture in there today. And uh, I might run short on time and just have to drop some of that so you'll have the extra stuff there. It's on page 1009 if you're using one of those church Bibles somewhere near you. Let's go ahead and read God's word together. Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 22. That is why I have been prevented many times from coming to you. But now I no longer have any work to do in these regions, and I have strongly desired for many years to come to you whenever I travel to Spain. For I hope to see you when I pass through, and to be assisted by you for my journey there, once I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Right now I am traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints, because Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased, and indeed they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared their spiritual benefits, have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they are obligated to minister to them in material needs. So when I have finished this and safely delivered the funds to them, I will visit you on my way to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in fervent prayers to God on my behalf. Pray that I might be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, and that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. May the God of peace be with all of you. Amen. Church, let's pray. Lord, as we see Paul's plans and and, and think about them and talk about them, let us not miss your plans. Let us understand, Lord, from this word how open doors and closed doors are a blessing, how you guide us and you move us, how you you order where we will live in the times and places so that people might feel their way to you and know you, how you have all things in your hand. The whole thing, Lord, is in your plan. God, help us to see that and and maybe more so help us to surrender to that truth and that reality. It's hard, Lord, and, and sometimes we need to recognize that you have our good in mind, and it might not seem like good in the moment, but... From the perspective of eternity, we know that anything in your will is better than anything in our will. Lord, help me to preach this word. Lord, help us to hear it and receive it. Help us to live by it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So there was a a time in my life when I had a solid plan to go back into the army. Uh, Many of you know I was in the military for many years, and I wanted to go back into the military as a chaplain. Like I wasn't previously a chaplain. I wasn't even in the chaplain corps. That was the furthest thing from what I did. But I understood that you know maybe that was part of the plan in my calling. Become a chaplain. That's it. So I went to seminary. And, and you don't just go to get any master's degree. You get the really big one. Um, you know, the, the 103 credit job. And I spent all this time and energy in doing this. I did all this stuff. I was doing all the right steps. I was talking with the people. We were making all the various... Uh, Things you have to do is just going through the motions to get there. I remember we, we ended up in some very serious conversations, my wife and I. 
because we were almost there. We'd almost done all the stuff, and now was the time to start making some real choices. We're about to sign some paperwork. We're about to move forward. Um, you know, commissioning would be around the corner. All this great stuff, right? So the choices were uh, serious, legitimate options with all the various pieces in place. Go active duty with the possible choice of duty station, and, and that was kind of a potential exciting adventure. I think my wife was leaning more towards that one. Or I had a very legitimate option for an opening in the chaplain corps in the 19th Special Forces Group, which would put me back with uh, similar things maybe, and I, that was a good choice. Both of these were very real options, and, and we were just you know, a physical and a couple of steps away from making it happen, and then it seemed like out of nowhere, by complete surprise, God just shut the door. Not just shut, but slammed, right? Like just, tunk, that's gone. That is done, all over. And it was hard. It just felt like all that work just evaporated into nothing. It was, was it for no purpose. Why, why? What are we doing? What's your plan, God? And, and I came to realize over time that closed doors are just as much a part of God's plan to direct and move us as open doors. And they're good. So we saw in the, in the stuff we just read, if we were to go back up to verse 20 from what we looked at last week... <clears throat> We see that Paul said his aim was, if you remember, to preach the gospel where Christ had not been named. That was his goal. That was his aim. In verse 22, he said he was prevented many times from coming. He wanted to come to the church in Rome. He's prevented. Uh, verse 23, he said, I have strongly desired for many years to come to you whenever I travel to Spain. See, he was hoping to see them on his way. He was hoping to be encouraged by them, but also get some support by them so they could be a part of launching him to his ministry in Spain as he headed that direction. But it did not go that way. It didn't, it didn't happen. It did not go down the way he had planned. Okay, now there's some debate about which collection Paul was talking about here and, and when that was happening. He kind of talked about, hey, we've got this collection from the faithful churches. Okay, no matter when, no matter what, we do know from the book of Acts, that Paul was arrested and eventually sent in chains to appear before Caesar in Rome. Okay, tradition holds that Paul was beheaded in Rome. We don't, have, we don't have biblical information for that, but given the caliber of Paul, who he was before he became a Christian, Pharisee of Pharisees, serious guy, who he was as a Christian, it really stands to reason that if Paul had gone on to Spain, there would be writing about him, from him, something. There would be history. That guy was a, a high-caliber player. He would have made a mark in Spain. We have nothing in Spain about Paul. I don't think he made it. I don't think that happened. Right? It, it just it didn't play out like that. So here we have Paul's 2,000-year-old mission plan, his ministry plan that didn't happen. Why in the world would I, would I spend a, a whole Sunday sermon on this? Why not just combine it with all the stuff at the end from about right here all the way to the very end of the book, just about, hey, here's some friends, here's some greetings, here's some plans. Lots of guys who've preached for you know 100-plus sermons get to this one, and then all the rest of the book ends up in one sermon. They just wrap it up, <clears throat> and they're done. Why, why wouldn't I do that? Well, because Paul had plans that didn't go like he thought, but they went exactly as God planned. They were within God's plan, and, and there's some things we need to learn and understand from that right here in the text. Right? During, during Jesus' earthly ministry, he asked his disciples who people say Jesus is. 
Right? And, and Matthew, you might remember that. There's a lot of wrong answers to that question. I mean, there's a lot of wrong answers. Uh, then and now. They were answering it wrong then, they're answering it wrong now. Some say he was a good teacher. Others say he was a created person like us who did everything right, and we need to follow his works-based example. Still others say he never existed, and it just goes on and on and on, right? Who do you say Jesus is? I mean, that's the question. This is a good question. Who do you say Jesus is? What's, what's your answer? I mean, really, if you had to... If you had to write it down, if you had to be pinned down, if we were having coffee and I looked at your eyeball to eyeball and said, who do you say Jesus is, what would you say to me? Well, that's a, whoever answered, good job. That's, that's the question. The, it's the big question. It's the line in the sand dividing question. It sets, it sets us on a trajectory. Either you are numbered with the lost world based on your answer, or... You're numbered with Jesus' disciples. Jesus turns this back to his disciples. He asks them, and Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's Matthew 16, 16. So here's what Peter was saying, because he was saying a lot in that statement. That is a loaded, packed statement. He was saying you know, that, that all the genealogy in Matthew 1 is true. Jesus is the son of David, and he's the son of Abraham. He was saying that Jesus is the promised son of David, the perfect king in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16. He was saying that that Micah 2's uh, prophecy that a ruler will come from Bethlehem points to Jesus. He's that guy. Jesus is the seed of the woman who was promised to crush the head of the snake all the way back in Genesis 3, 15. He's the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Peter's saying he's the anointed one in Daniel in 9, 25 through 26. He's a sacrificial lamb in Isaiah 53, 7, which points all the way back to the Passover and Exodus. He's the one who was sanctified on the Passover that John the Baptist predicted and declared, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The same lamb that we're going to see, the same sacrificial lamb in the center of all the heavenly worship in Revelation 6 and 7. He's that guy. He is the beginning and the end, the one who is and who was and is to come, the almighty, Revelation 1.8. Peter was saying he's all that and more. So if you say Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, and you mean all that, and you submit to Jesus because you believe it's true, and therefore you believe he's the Lord and he calls all the shots in your life, then you're numbered among Jesus' disciples. That's what it means to be a Christian. To take all that and say, yup, I believe all that. He's Lord. I'm going to live by all that. It's going to shape me and inform who I am. And if you say, no way, it's not that, then you're numbered among the lost world. See, it's a, it's a dividing line in the sand. Some of you might be in here, though, and you're like, I, I, I'm trying to make sense of that. I want to under, I, I, that's a lot to, to unpack and untangle. I want to understand it. If that's you, let's talk. That's great. That's a good place to be. Let's chat. Let's get coffee. Let's deal with the question, who do we say that Jesus is? What does all this mean? Come up to me after the service. Say, hey, let, I want to make an appointment with you, or I want to talk about it right now, or talk to somebody next to you. This is an important question. So, so Peter said, and meant all of it, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus responded back to Peter in sixteen seventeen, saying, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, that's Peter, 
Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, which rhymes with rock in Greek. And on this rock, which is talking about Peter's confession, on what you just said, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. See, that's the, that's the point. That's the point we just saw in Romans 15, 22 through 33. That's the point right there. The point is, Jesus builds his church. Upon this confession of who Jesus is, he takes those who make that confession, he uses them, and upon that confession of truth, he builds his church. He is the master architect, Jesus. He's the master builder. He does it. We see Paul talking through, this is kind of my plan, but who's the builder? I think there's three lessons here in Romans 15, 22 through 33 that we just read about how Jesus builds his church. Now, I know most of you don't like my fun games. So if you're taking notes, don't start writing these yet. Just wait. <laughs> in verse 26, we see that Jesus uses local churches to help other local churches, which in turn builds the universal church. Again, that's a super remarkable point. It'd be worth putting in your notes, but I'm not going to have time to discuss that this morning. So I don't want you to be upset, but I can't go there this morning. I just don't have time. In verses 30 through 32, we see that laboring in prayer is a critical element of building the church. It's a necessity. Jesus calls us to prayer for this purpose. If I had time to preach on that this morning, I would share a quote from Oswald Chambers where he said, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work, which is why there are people right over in this prayer room praying right now for you in this sermon. But I don't have time to share that quote with you, so I'm just, you don't get it. (laughs) Why don't I have time? Because the third thing that we see in the text, okay, it's something that so many of us either have struggled with or are currently struggling with or will struggle with. And I think that God wants me to spend all of my time on that point because it is incredibly relevant for us. Okay, so seeing how Paul's plans in light of Jesus' plans play out is very helpful. Okay, that's what I want us to see. That's what I want us to understand. Okay, I want us to understand one thing, this one, Jesus thing, this one thing. So let's look at that. It starts really with Jesus. Um, Jesus set Paul's plan. Jesus gave him the marching orders. He gave him the instruction. Acts 9.15, the Lord said, This is my man, this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. So when we read the book of Acts, most of you have, you've seen, we've discovered that Paul's mission strategy, anytime he enters a new town, is to go first to the local synagogue if there is one. And he goes in there and he preaches Jesus you know, Sabbath day after Sabbath day, he goes in there, he's working through that, right? And then usually after that doesn't go so well with the Jewish people, which is usually the outcome, he turns his attention to the Gentiles. So he starts with the Jewish people, moves to the Gentiles. In one account, a huge crowd is assembled. Synagogue is packed, it's in Antioch, uh, but the Pharisees aren't having it, and they're fighting against him. And then Acts thirteen forty six, Paul says, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you reject it, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles. Same thing happened in Thessalonica, same thing in Ephesus, same thing in Corinth. That was his mission strategy. It was just a basic plan. 
He took the name of Jesus to the Israelites. That's what Jesus said he would do. That was part of the plan, and he did it. Okay, then in Romans 15, 19, Paul says he fully preached the gospel from Jerusalem all the way around to Alecrium. Okay, that's a lot of Israelites. There's also a lot of Gentiles. In Acts 19.10, and this is crazy, Paul says, uh, it said, not Paul, Luke said that Paul preached for two years in that area. Listen, so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Whoa. Okay, so Jesus set a plan for him that he would preach to the Israelites and that he would preach to the Gentiles where he planted churches and did that work. And Paul did it. It's what he did. He preached the word. He did the plan, right? Well, so far he had done two-thirds of the plan. Right? Jesus had another group of people he was supposed to preach to. Do you remember? Gentiles, Israelites, and kings. Kings. Paul was sticking to the last instruction he had when he wrote this to the, to the Romans. I, my last instruction is to preach to the Gentiles. And I'm going to do that, so I'm going to Spain because... There's probably a lot of Gentiles there. It wasn't wrong that he had a plan to go to Spain. He didn't, I mean, he didn't know. He was doing the last thing that he was told to do, and that's what he was going to do. And along the way, he had preached to some high-up leaders, to some king types. Okay, the proconsul of Cyprus, uh, Sergius Paulus, believed Paul's preached message. That's what it says in Acts 13, 4 through 12. Paul stood before uh, Galeo, uh, the proconsul of Achaia. He did not receive the message so well. He dismissed the case, but didn't seem to be very receptive. That's Acts 18, 12 through 17. But Jesus had bigger plans for Paul. He needed him now to start preaching to kings. So Paul's in Jerusalem. He's teaching at the temple, and uh, the teaching starts a riot, which, man, that would be some cool teaching. Uh, It's chaos. Paul gets arrested which that was probably the last day Paul ever lived his life not on house arrest in jail or in chains. That was probably the very last day of his freedom, preaching on the Temple Mount. Now, I doubt Paul had planned to start a riot with his preaching or to get arrested. I don't think he would have thought, I got an idea. This is what I'm going to do. I don't think that's what he set out to do. But during his time of arrest, Paul had tons of interactions first with Felix, who was the governor of Judea. He was arrested for quite some time. They discussed the the faith of Jesus Christ. They discussed theology for two years. Paul had an opportunity to talk with Felix. That's Acts 24, verses 24 through 27. And then Festus comes along. He replaces Felix. Paul's still in jail, and and, uh, Festus has Paul appear for him. and, And Festus is totally perplexed by Paul. He didn't know what to make of it. So he consults with another person, King Agrippa. The king of Israel. He's, man, I, I got to take this higher up. This goes higher than me. So then, in Acts 25 and 26, those two chapters, is Paul's appearance before, Fest, or, uh, before uh, Festus and King Agrippa and their wives. Paul is preaching the gospel, and we get to read about it before the king of Israel. And then he appeals to Caesar, and he gets sent to Rome. We don't have a record of him preaching before Caesar. In fact, we don't have anything about how that went down other than, you know, kind of how the book ends, that he's there, he's on house arrest for two years, people are coming and going, he's still preaching the name of Jesus while he was there. I think the book leaves us to assume that Paul preached to Caesar and then probably got his head cut off. But we don't know. It's an assumption. 
I believe he did, because Jesus said he was going to. Why not go all the way to the top? We got a big God, right? Seems like something Paul would be a part of. So what are we to make about Paul's failed plans in Romans 15, 22 through 33? I'm going to go to Spain. I'm going to see you. God willing, I'm so excited to do this. <clears throat> Proverbs 16, 9 gives us this little wise gem. It says, a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. Paul's heart was to visit Rome. I mean, and then go to Spain. Like that was what he, I really want to do this. This is going to be awesome. I got Spain on my mind. I bet when he was just talking with people at dinner, like, man, every time he get together with Paul, all he talks about is Spain. Man, Spain, 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 Spain. I got to go to Spain, preach the gospel. Man, that Paul. The Lord's plan for Paul was different. I think some of us have been there. One way or another, we understand, we can relate, right? Don't get me wrong. I think, I think it was really okay for Paul to have a heart for Spain. I think it wasn't, he wasn't in sin for having this plan. He wasn't going against God's plan. I don't think at the moment he knew that was what was going to happen. I don't think he was aware he was going to get arrested. So he's going along. And then, clam, a door comes slamming shut because another door opened. And that's the direction Paul was supposed to go. He was operating off the previous plan before the door slammed. I remember once Pastor Mike, who was here when we were transitioning, uh, said, if you don't know what to do, do the last thing you know God told you to do. Just stick with that, right? Just do that until the door's closed, until something changes, then go the new direction, right? Closed doors can be just as helpful as open doors, if not more helpful. They guide us and they direct us. You take options off the table. Sorry, translator, this is not in my notes. The best art in the world is created when artists limit their art. Meaning, boy, I could make any picture I want, but I'm going to limit just the chalk. I could do this, but I'm going to limit just to this method or that method. When we take all the limits off, our art goes down the toilet. Limits create things that are better. And closed doors in your life might be limits to how you're serving the Lord to open up better things. So Jesus closed the door on Paul's plans. Sorry, Spain. Got other plans here. This wasn't the first time this happened to Paul. If you, if you would turn over to Acts 16, we're going to look at verses, 16, uh, verses 6 through 10. Um, it's on page 983 if you're using that, that church Bible under a seat somewhere next to you. Uh, Acts 16, we're going to look at verses 6 through 10. Not even that. There we go. This is Paul's missionary team. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Interesting that eventually all the word was preached in Asia. But at this point, door was slammed. They couldn't go into Asia. It goes on, verse 8, passing by Mysia. They went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After, uh, after he had seen the vision, we, Luke and all of his buddies, immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God, God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They're trying to go into Asia. They're trying to go into Asia. Bam, door closed. 
a vision. It's a man saying, come to Macedonia and help us. So off they go. And by the way, the first convert and the first person they run into isn't even a dude. It's Lydia. But praise the Lord, God had other plans. At the beginning of the sermon, I told you I had plans to go back into the army as a chaplain. Man, I was set on that thing. My wife was set on that thing for sure. It looked pretty good. I thought it was a great plan. Everything looked good on paper. But looking back, I can see clearly from where I stand now, especially from where I stand right now, God had other plans. I hadn't thought about being a pastor. I hadn't thought about being a preacher. I didn't know I was going to encounter you guys. I didn't know I was going to pastor this church. Jesus' plans are so much better, I wouldn't change them for the world. I get this. I get you. Jesus' plans are better. Closed doors are a blessing. It's humbling when we come to learn that that it's God who opens the doors and it's God who closes the doors. Sometimes we get so mad. Why didn't that happen? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why didn't that work out like I wanted? Why? Closed doors are a blessing and it should humble us to realize how little control we have over our own plans. James, the apostle, has something to say with this. Turn over to James chapter 4. We're going to look at 13 through 17. James says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll travel to such and such city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Uh, Verse 15, he says, instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, which God, Paul said, Lord willing, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Oh, how arrogant. I got this plan. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Not if the Lord doesn't have the same plan. So Lord willing, I hope this is the plan that God has me on. But maybe not. What a humbling encounter. We need to remember, Jesus sets the plans and provides the steps. He provides the means. He provides the open doors and the closed doors. He builds his church. And honestly, frankly, we're just lucky we get to be a part of it. What a blessing. So what are Jesus' plans for me? That's what we really want to know, right? Why here? Why now? What are we doing? What's the future? What's Jesus? What's going? What's, what is Jesus' plan for me? Okay, the first thing we need to do is we have to remember that question that I asked at the beginning. It all starts and hinges on who do you say Jesus is? Okay, that's the critical question. You have to ask that first. If you don't have that dialed in, the rest is pointless. Jesus builds on our confession of who he is. So the first step is to surrender your life to Jesus completely, to his plans, not holding, but, well, you can have this much, but I'm going to have this much, this, that. Well, if, if, if you want me to go that way, Jesus, I'm good, but if I, I don't, no, you have to be fully surrendered to follow him as a disciple because you believe he is who he says he is, and he is Lord, master architect, master builder, designer and protector of your faith your mission, your ministry, everything that you are and do. 
Okay, so his first command in Mark 1.15 is to repent and believe. Jesus preached, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. And now in an imperative, in a command to all who hear, to you who are hearing now, me who are hearing now, repent and believe the good news. That's the command. That's your call. That's your mission. That's your next step. Today is the day. Turn from your ways and your planning and and surrender to his. Call him Lord and follow him. Or reject him. That's the crossroads you're at right now. But most of us, I think most of us have have gone down the path that says Jesus is Lord. I'm I'm all yours. Right? But let's remember we're all at different points in our Christian journey. Okay, we're not all at the same place. We're all on this trajectory, and, and, and we're all kind of working it out. So for those of us who've said, yes, Jesus, I'm all in with you, okay, we all have a next step in front of us. It's just going to be different for each of us. Let's make sure we, we get that. Don't be looking around comparing yourself to everybody else in here. That's not helpful. Look to Jesus and say, what's your plans? I want to take the next step. Here we go, right? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 gives a really fascinating picture of God's will for your life. Well, it's God's will for my life. What, what are we doing? What, what is this? Here it is. You ready? It says this. This is God's will. Oh, what's God's will? Your sanctification. And then it goes on to give a list of things that help grow us into holiness. Things to avoid, things to do. This will help you to be sanctified. God wants you, the believer, to be sanctified. And sanctification is growing more in our maturity in Christ. Okay, It's being renewed and transformed. Not being conformed to the world's ways, but being transformed to God's ways. Okay, It's how we're conformed to His mind and His will. It's how we understand the way of God. It's how we start to grow and understand the way of His plan. Most of us really need to be sanctified in key areas of the Christian life because we're not doing well in obeying some of those areas. Now, I don't know what that area is for you, but I know us. We all have our our little things, right? I have my things. We're being sanctified and grown. Jesus is working on that. We want to obey those commands. So maybe... Whatever that next little thing is, is your next step in your sanctification and in your journey. Some of you are believers, but you haven't followed Jesus in believer's baptism. Man, what's holding you back? This is a public profession that says, I'm all in with Jesus, and Jesus says you should do it. So by not doing it, you're actually not really obeying Jesus. So go for it. It doesn't save you. It just shows that you're in. And we would love to talk with you about that. Some of you need to grow in your prayer life. I don't really want to pray. I definitely don't want to pray with other believers. I definitely don't want anybody to hear me ever pray. I get it. It's hard. I remember growing through that in my own life and feeling really oddly embarrassed and afraid of other people or maybe just afraid of talking to God or not in a good habit of a prayer life. Some of you might need to be growing in your prayer life. Some of you, and maybe I'm talking to the wrong group because most of you are in here, but some of you are struggling to gather regularly with the other believers and worship. You know, you're just not here and, and, and you're struggling... Maybe that's where you need to grow, is making a commitment to be with other believers here and worshiping God together. Some of you are struggling to love your brothers and sisters. Like, well, I'm all about this. I love learning over here, hearing the preaching, or I love the coffee, or I love this or that, but I don't really love a lot of the people I could do without them. I wish they weren't here. <clears throat> terrible. I mean, it's just terrible, right? These are the people that Jesus loves. We're the people that he loves and he died for, and we probably need to work on loving each other a little bit better, right? I get it. 
Some of you need to grow in the area of worship and all that you do. Not just in the, I mean, some of you just, we're singing, we're praising our guts out, and you're like, when is this thing going to move past this, right? Some of you might need to just let loose the embarrassment or the fear and just go for it. Sing your guts out. Like, there's a person that sits kind of behind me where I sit. She sings her guts out. Man, I love that. It just, it moves me. It compels me every time. Like, she loves Jesus, right? Maybe that's you, but maybe it's worship in all the other aspects of your life, that everything that you would do would be worship, and you need to realize, I need to give glory to God in everything that I'm doing. Maybe it's that you, you need to give of your finances, or you need to give of your time, or you need to give of your skills for the advancement of God's kingdom here or out there or wherever, whatever you're doing. Or maybe it's that you need to reorder your priorities so that God is at the top, right? He's not just over here once in a while. That He's your everything, Your sanctification is God's will for your life. So that's going to be a step on the journey you're on. Okay, if you don't know what to do, lean in towards God, be sanctified, ask him to grow you, talk with God, read from his word, talk with God's people, and just start to ask, what's the next step in my growing plan? How are you growing me? How are you moving me? I want to follow in your instruction. Okay, and then here's the real key. A lot of us, we kind of know what it is. We're not brave enough to actually take the step. Take this step. Man, this is, if I say yes to this, it's going to change a lot in my life. You do it. It's going to be better. Do it. I think God is calling some of us to do more to make disciples. We talked about that a little bit last week. You know, the Great Commission, it's that, it's that command. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 stuff. That biggie, right? <clears throat> Go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of Jesus, uh, Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit teaching them all I've commanded, you know, right? Now, for some, that might be overwhelming. Okay, do not hear that I'm saying, everybody, get up and get on a plane and crash it in some country and never leave and stay there and, you know, work with the indigenous peoples until they throw spears in your chest. And all. Like, I'm not asking every person to go into dangerous places to preach the gospel. God might be asking you, though. Or he might be asking you to go across the street and talk to your neighbor Okay, we're all on different places of our journey. He might not be asking you to share the gospel at all right now. You might be hearing the gospel, and he might be saying, it's time for you to follow me as Lord. I don't know. It's okay. We're all in different spots. But for some of us, I think, I think there's a point in our growth when it's time to make those big steps, like the big, like big ones, right? We've got to get serious about thinking about evangelism, lostness, mission, giving up some of our time, talent, treasure, maybe a lot of it to support the mission of the gospel proclaimed around the world. Some of us, he might be calling to this, that the whole gospel, I mean, the whole gospel could preach to the, be preached to the whole world. right? I think we all know the world really needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That's Jesus' plan, and he might be calling you to be on that plan with him. So be brave. Come talk with me. Say yes. Maybe he's calling you to go be a missionary or church planner somewhere. You might have a lot of time you need to prepare now, but maybe that's a yes you need to say to him. Okay, so it, it means for some of us, maybe many of us, we need to get real serious about where we live right now. Okay, there's a gospel opportunity all around you. If you're in this state, or basically any state in America, or any place in the world, there are gospel opportunities to share. But you live here in Utah, most of you. I don't know if some of you have traveled in, but we're here. Get serious about where you live. Okay, why would God have you here in Utah? Some of you, you started here. You're, just, you're here. Some of you, God called you here for very specific purposes, for, for his, his kingdom growth. 
In Acts 17, it says that God ordered all the places where we all live so that people might feel their way to God. You might be here to help people to get saved. Some of you really need to get serious about living here. Some of you might be calling you to go elsewhere and you need to say, I'll go. I'll go. You might need to give up comfort. In fact, if you're saying I'll go somewhere in the world, you probably will be giving up comfort. You will definitely be giving up money. You will definitely be giving up safety and security to go somewhere else as a missionary, as a church planter. Or maybe you're being called to go with a missionary or church planter to support that work. Or maybe you're being called to make a ton of money and give it all to that church planter or that missionary to support that kind of work. That stuff's hard stuff. You need to be brave in that. Maybe that's what God's calling because the name of Jesus, the good news, needs to be preached that people would repent, believe, and be saved. Maybe Jesus is calling you on that kind of plan. Or maybe it's just a step to say, I'm going to be sanctified in this or that. But for all of us in who profess that Jesus is Lord, he's calling you to some step. If you don't know what it is, stick to what the last thing he told you was and do that. And as he closes doors, he's going to open doors, and he's going to show you where you're going. And be faithful to go that way. I don't know what your next step is. I have no idea. I wish all of you come to me like I've got all the wisdom and I know exactly what God is doing for all you. Tell me. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what your next step is, but I absolutely believe that the Holy Spirit whispers it in your, even right now, it's in your heart, it's in your mind, it's in your circumstances, it's in your consequences, it's in the things you're dealing with. Doors are open, you see it. Doors are closed, you see it. The Holy Spirit is guiding you, and he's been doing that lately, hasn't he? I think all of you probably have some little like, yeah, I kind of, oh, yep. He's working. God is on the move. He's doing something. For some of you, he's whispering. For others others of you, he is shouting. And, And you can hear it loud and clear. Why does he work like this? Why does he use us? Because Jesus said, I'll be with you. And you know what he's doing? Building this church, he's saying, come to work with me. Let's do this together. Jesus builds his church. We get to be a part. So whatever your next step is that Jesus is calling you on, I hope and I pray that you will take that step. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful. So thankful that you didn't send me back into one of those military units. You had a better plan. I'm so thankful I get to look out and see these people and love these people and walk with these people and see your gospel proclaimed with these people and shepherd these people. And I didn't know really many of them back then. But you did. You had them in mind even right now. Even people who were about to be baptized, Lord, you had them all in mind. And all those, God willing, who will come as we move forward, as we take steps. Thank you for your good plans for your plans for this church, for your plans for these people, for your plans for the gospel going into the world by all sorts of means. Lord, thank you for closed doors. And I know we want to groan, and, and Lord, that's a tough thing to pray for, but thank you that you close the doors and show us other ways and, and other open doors. Lord, there are some in here that are looking for that kind of clarity, so Lord, just slam some doors shut real loud so they don't miss it, and then open the right doors that you would have them walk through. And Lord, as a church, continue to guide us, continue to put our next steps in front of us. I'm so thankful for what you've been doing as you've been building this local church as an expression of your larger body. Lord, continue to guide us and help us to see those steps clearly and give us the, the, 
the courage to take those steps well. So Lord, we just want to praise you for, for our failed plans and your plans that always succeed. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.